Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And the title of my message is Legacy Living. We are continuing this thought around our Heart for the House season that we are in. Heart for the House for us is more than just raising funds. It's actually about legacy. Legacy is really important. Legacy means something left or handed down by a predecessor. I love what Paul DeYoung says. He said, it's our lasting echo. And we're going to talk about that today in the context of our heart for the house giving. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to read one verse this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, It's in the Old Testament. And it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. I've shared this passage of Scripture numerous times before, but it bears repeating as I set up my preach today. Basically, we have this young man, David. He's about 17 years of age. He lived some two and a half thousand years ago. And he was asked by his dad to go to the battlefield and, uh, and uh, give his three oldest brothers who were there fighting some food and then come back to his dad and report how they're going. And so David, before he sets out, gets a shepherd to look after the sheep because that was the first thing his dad asked him to do, look after the sheep. So instead of just run off with the father's second command, he made sure the father's first command was taken care of. So he did that and then he got the food from his dad, went to the place of battle and saw his brothers. And it was there that this conversation, this dialogue took place. And you would think that Uh, Eliab and the other two brothers would be happy to see their younger brother. They were bringing them food and they wanted to be able to go back with a good report to his father. You'd think they'd be happy. You would. And yet he wasn't happy. He just started questioning his older, his younger brother. He was not happy to see him. In actual fact, Eliab questions him about his motive. He questions him about his responsibility and he questions him about his heart. I want you to get this just for a moment. He says, what are you doing here? That's motive. What are you doing here? That's that's how David, this young kid, was greeted. What are you doing here? His motive was questioned. His responsibility was questioned. He said, who have you left those few sheep with? And his heart was questioned. He said, I know you. You you're, You're conceited in your heart. And I want you to know at that moment, That was nothing to do with David and everything to do with Eliab. You know, a lot of people don't judge things as they are. They judge things as they are. They judge you based on what is going on in their world. And, And David, no doubt, because of the pressure that he was under, because of the situation that he was in, he just starts lashing out at his brother. That moment had nothing to do with David and everything to do with Eliab. Maybe you're facing a situation at work and someone just lashes out at you. I I guarantee you don't need to take that on board. It has more to do with the person speaking than you receiving it. Because people don't judge things as they are. They judge things as they are. Does that make sense this morning? Um, And he says this, he says, You have come here only to see the battle. 
Now, one of the best ways I can encourage anyone to read the Bible is not just read it. I would say read it and stop every now and then and ask questions about what you've just read and then think about that for a moment. And when I stop after this particular verse, I ask myself this question, what battle is taking place? You see, if you know what's going on, for 40 days, which is about six weeks, every day, this giant by the name of Goliath had come out to torment the army of the living God. Basically, he put down a challenge. And what he was saying is, let's not have a heap of bloodshed. Just give me your best to fight me and whoever wins takes all. But Goliath was a giant of a man and he put fear into the camp of Israel. And as a result, they were paralysed and they were doing nothing. There was no battle taking place. But interestingly enough, they were in the place of battle. They were talking about battle. They were even dressed for battle. But there was no battle taking place. In actual fact, at that moment, they were doing nothing more than having dress-ups. Maybe some of you can remember back to your childhood doing dress-ups. Maybe some of you still do it in your adult years. No judgment from me. <laughs> Knock yourself out. But I remember as a kid growing up, we got right into armies. Uh, and mainly I got caught up in it because my two older brothers were into armies. But in particular, my younger brother just loved all things army. He wanted to get in the army when he was older. He was unable to for various reasons. But he just, he was all about army, army, army. And we got caught up in that. And so much so that Auntie Peggy, a friend of my mum and dad's, sewed us outfits of camouflage. I mean, we had our full-blown camouflage outfits, pants and top. And, and we didn't stop there. We were committed. We were fully invested. We were all in. And so then we would go to the army disposals in Rundle Street. And, and we got uh, badges that we sewed on. Got sergeant stripes we put on the arm. I mean, we were fully invested. You know, this is, this is a, I actually owned a, a, a fully fledged uh, army helmet an army belt with a canteen and a pistol holder. I mean, I owned all of that gear. And, and uh, my dad would carve out guns with wood and we'd pretend to, you know, the rubber guns. And then we'd get all the friends from, from around the neighbourhood come together and we'd play armies. And we'd get half the team go to the back of the house and half the team would be around the front of the house. And the team around the front of the house used to go to the back of the house and hunt down the team at the back. And we were all dressed up in camouflage and we were like decked out, just, you know. And then it would be on. <laughs> and then these arguments, who shot each other first? I shot you first. Oh, you didn't shoot me. I shot you. And then it ended up in a, usually a punch up. And, but we had an army helmet on, so that didn't hurt. It's like, <laughs> and then we'd you know, kind of make up and we'd say, okay, you go around the front now and you hunt us down. And we, we could do that for days. So just, it's just fun. But the bottom line is we were doing nothing more than just playing armies. And at that point in Israel's history, they were doing nothing more than just playing armies. Yeah. They were in the place of battle. They were talking about battle. They were dressed for battle. But they actually wasn't doing any battle. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge to us as a church today, particularly those who have been around for a while. Because we can be in the place of God, learning about the things of God, talking about the things of God, but actually not living a life of God. 
And it's a challenge. So can we let this word challenge us as I, I want it to challenge me today that we're not just playing church, but that actually we are living the life because it's possible to believe something but not be living in what we believe. See, what we believe has to do with our values, but what we do has to do with our culture. In fairness to Eliab and his two brothers and the whole army of Israel, I'm not saying that they didn't believe in battle. I think they did believe. That's why they were there. But there were various reasons why they couldn't engage in battle. Probably, mainly because of fear. And I, I think a lot of the church is not mobilised because of fear and comfort and distractions and other things like that. And it takes moments like this just to stir us and remind us about what matters most and our purpose here on planet Earth and what it's for. Because there's a difference between values and, there's, and culture. When we were young uh, and our kids were much younger, uh, they developed certain traits that we didn't like. And so we wanted to address those traits. And, and so we came up with this great idea. A friend of ours told us about it, uh, about having some family commandments. And so we had 10 rainbow family commandments. And, and being a graphic designer and a sign writer that I was and, and, and still am, uh, kind of come up with these amazing looking commandments, 10 of them. And we put them on the fridge. They looked amazing. And it's just awesome. Uh, and then I realised... No sooner had they gone on the fridge, but nothing really changed because our values didn't change the culture. And so when we saw those traits being outworked, um, I would have to bring our kids over to the fridge and get them to read number one, thou shalt not stomp their feet. And and remind them, we're rainbows. We don't do that. This this is our house and we don't do that. And that season in my life taught me an incredible lesson that it's easier to put values on the fridge than to get culture in the home. And in order for values to become a culture, you've got to engage in a battle. That's what it taught me. You've got to engage in a battle. You see, for us to have culture, culture, uh, the culture we adopt determines the legacy that we leave. That's why it's so important that we not just have values, but we turn those values into culture. But the culture we adopt determines and depends upon the legacy that we leave. For our values to become culture that create a favourable legacy, we have to engage in certain battles. And we see this young man, David, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26 says this, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, legacy living is motivated by helping others now and the generations to come. David was preoccupied not just with his own health and safety, but the future of the armies of Israel. I I just think it's something that we have to consider this morning as we look at legacy living. I mentioned already this morning that that I'm disturbed in my spirit because we need to be a people that hold our line and stay focused because there's so many distractions out there in the world today and we seek comfort instead of Christ. And so I wanna look at three things that we can learn from David's life in this heart for the house season that we're in when it comes to legacy living. And the first one is simply this, legacy living stands up to intimidation. 
You see, Goliath was like over nine feet tall. That means if he was on the NBA team, you, he would be the guy you just pass the ball to and he would just slam dunk it every time and it would be game over. He'd be the guy that you want to draft. I mean, he was a giant of a man and he stood there intimidating the army of Israel. And that's the ploy of the enemy to intimidate us with the size of the challenge. When we come to heart for the house, we can be intimidated by the task and be intimidated by the cost. And that's the enemy's ploy to stop us and to paralyse us, to stop us giving and to stop us getting involved because the task is too big. And what I love about David, he wasn't intimidated by the size of his enemy because he saw God as bigger. He didn't see Goliath as big. He saw God as big. He had a high view of God. And he says, who is this that comes against the armies of the living God? The interesting thing to note is this, that the enemy, Goliath and his army, the Philistines, were standing in Succo, which is in Judah, which was land that belonged to the Israelites. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to crowd in and take what is rightfully yours. And David knew that that territory that they were standing on belonged to them. How dare he come against the armies of the living God and taunt us when they're on our home ground. And he got indignant and he stood up and he ran to meet Goliath. This is what I want you to get. He didn't sit around arguing with his brother. You know, in church, we can talk about and argue about all the differences that we have in church and why we believe this and why we believe that and end time theology this and end time theology that and have argument after argument and discussion after discussion. David didn't have any of that. He just took the army head on, the enemy head on. Uh, Our enemy is not our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not the person you're sitting next to. We have an enemy. We have principalities and powers that we're fighting against that want to stop the church of the living God advancing and taking ground. That's where we need to take the battle. That's why I'm a great believer in prayer. That's why I'm a great believer in the Word of God. That's why I'm a great believer in encouraging the church to keep a high view of God and not allow the distractions to rob us because the moment the distractions rob us of our focus, it robs us of our power. And we see David, he runs to the giant. He runs to the battle. He runs to the enemy and doesn't sit around talking negatively to his brother or other people in the army who are gripped with fear. My question to you is this, what voices are you listening to? Because the voices that you listen to in the valley are really important. What voices are you listening to? This year's heart for the house. What voices are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice like, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to get involved. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. Those voices are always there. I I get those every time we have a heart for the house. I hear those voices. And if I hear those voices, I'm sure you do too. But the question is, what voices are we listening to? I had the incredible privilege of being able to watch on as my wife, And her team of incredible women led a room full of incredible women at the women's conference only two weeks ago. And I was listening to Kath speak and I just had this God drop. I just felt God speak into my heart about something I could do to help women be set free on behalf of men. And I just felt it was a God thing. I felt like I heard the voice of God. But interesting enough, I also at the same time heard another voice. No sooner had I heard this voice to stand up on stage 
in front of all these women and apologise on behalf of all the men in the women's world that have hurt them, abused them, disrespected them, beaten them. I just felt, God, it's just great. If you could be the voice of an apology that they'll never get. I felt it was an incredible God thing. No sooner had I heard that voice, I heard this other voice. Look at you. You can't keep your hands off. You have to be involved. You have to grab the mic. I heard that. As clear as I heard the God thing, I heard this other voice. And what I've learned over years is to discern the different voices. It's amazing. Often you hear God and then straight away you'll hear the enemy. And no sooner had I heard the voice of God, I heard the voice of the enemy. And so I go back and say to Kath, do what you want with this. It's your meeting. I said, but I feel to do this, but I don't want to take over. And I start expressing my concerns based upon this other voice. And Kath just gives me the voice, uh, mic, trusts my discernment over the years and lets me up on stage. I spoke, and for a lot of women, it was the moment of the conference. Not because of me, but because of Kath, the team of women that created an environment that was conducive to hear God, God speaking to me, me being obedient, discharging what God put on my heart, and women were set free. See, the goal wasn't about me being on stage. The goal was about women being set free. And the devil accused me of just wanting to be on stage, just wanting to take over, can't take my hands off. And, and I felt all that. And, and I know in these seasons, you're going to hear God speaking to you and you're going to hear the enemy speaking to you. God's going to say, hey, I want you to stretch yourself this year. I want you to give this year. I want you to be involved like you've never been involved before this year. But then he's like, I can't afford to. I can't do this and I can't do that. I want to say, what voice are you listening to? The enemy will always try to intimidate you by the size of the challenge. But legacy living stands up to intimidation. Secondly, legacy living sees significance in the insignificant. I want you to catch this church. See, David didn't have a spear. David didn't have a sword. And he didn't have a Tommy gun because they hadn't been invented. But he didn't have armour. All he had was a sling. David only had a sling which compared to armoury, weapons, seemed pretty insignificant. Are you with me today? Yeah. And the enemy can cause you to look at what you've got and see it as insignificant. But what you need to know is that everything God gives us, He gives to us in seed form. And we have to be obedient and diligent with what he places in our hand. And what I love about David's confidence, it didn't come just from adrenaline. David's confidence in what he had in his hand came because he had been able to use what God had given him in previous years that had gone before. See, earlier on, we see David taking on a bear and a lion when they came to attack his sheep. And I think sometimes we're not ready for the bigness of a challenge because we haven't taken on the smaller challenges first. In order to take on a Goliath, you've got to at least have succeeded over your lion and your bear, which is no small feat, by the way. I mean, don't get me wrong. David didn't have an issue with lions and bears. He wasn't anti-lions and bears. He didn't have a I hate lions and bears club. No, he only attacked them because they were attacking that which he loved. He was asked to look after his sheep 
uh, his father's sheep. And in so doing, in order to look after them, he had to protect them. And so he was able to upskill and use his craft, use what was in his hand. So when this moment came, he was able to be deadly accurate and confident in what he had. So he didn't see insignificant, oh, sorry, significant as insignificant. And, and I really sense that for every one of us in this room, God has put things in your life. He's put things in your hands. He's put things in your heart. And it's for us to get a different mindset about what we have. Yeah. And instead of saying, I don't have much to give, it's not about how much, it's about offering what you have. Yeah. That's what this is all about. It's us going to God and asking, what is it that we have that we can give? What is it we have that we can release in order to help free others? Are you with me today? And so David takes his sling and a sling in his hand is as useful as a sword in someone else's. And your $10 in your hand is as useful as someone else's $100 in their hand. Your ability to be able to help out. And I thank God, even after last week, we had people say, hey, look, I'm able to help here. I can do this and I've got some skills here. It's about us getting all in and being involved at this time. And so I wanna break off you the intimidation that comes our way and I wanna break off the thinking of insignificance that's in your life, that's in your hand. Are you with me today? And thirdly, legacy living is willing to be inconvenienced. Legacy is willing to be inconvenienced. You see, this army of Israel had been camped up on the hill for 40 days in the comfort of no battle. But David was willing to leave the place of comfort. David was willing to be inconvenienced and take on his giant. He didn't wait for something special to happen. I think sometimes we sit around just waiting for something special to happen. We wait for someone else to start something. But David was a forerunner. God always chooses a man or a woman. It's the way He chooses to do things. God could do it by Himself and He would do a better job, but He chooses to do it with us. I remember when our kids were much younger and they would help us around the house or they'd help me wash the car. Any parents out there, that have young kids that say, I wanna help you wash the car or I wanna help you clean the house, know that they are not much of a help. In actual fact, they're more of a hindrance than a help. But you know what? As a dad, I used to love having them, not because they really helped me, but because they were with me. Yeah. And God wants us to be involved with what He's involved in that we might be with Him. And sometimes we get in the way and sometimes we don't do a good a job as we should, but He loves the fact that we are there with Him, working alongside Him, doing it with Him. And David was that man who just, just said, I'm just gonna have a go. He didn't wait for anything special to happen. He was a forerunner. We had Father's Day not that long ago and we honoured my dad in particular because I'm a second generation Christian and my kids are now third generation Christians. And the reason I get the opportunity to be a second generation Christian is because there's a man who chose to become a first generation Christian and I'm so grateful for that. He didn't wait for anything special to happen. He didn't wait for anyone else to go first. He just made a decision. Maybe you're saying the church should be doing this. If, there's ever, if, that, if those words have ever come out of your mouth, I wanna say, yes, you're right. Your rightness is not the problem. Your willingness to engage in your rightness yes. is what makes it good or bad, helpful or unhelpful. Because this is what I know to be true. Often God will bring something up uh, uh, to your attention in order for you to do something about it. 
I remember many years ago, before Victory Church even existed, I never used to like prayer meetings. And the reason I didn't like prayer meetings is because they were boring, they were quiet, they were ineffective, they lacked passion, they lacked faith. That was the complaint in my heart. And I felt God say, we'll do something about it. And I took that challenge personally and we took a charge of the prayer meetings and the culture was changed. And I thank God for that day because that was the beginning of many, many other challenges. You know, you having a complaint is not the problem. It's what you do with the complaint. In actual fact, a vision without a complaint will perish. Every vision is birthed out of complaint. Every vision starts with, why can't we fly? And the Wright brothers had this indignation, why can't we fly? Everyone says, we can't, why can't we? I'm annoyed that we can't fly. I hate walking, I hate horses, I want to fly. And they did something about it. And we get the privilege today to be able to fly because of those two boys' complaint. The trouble with the church is we have complaints, but all we do is complain about our complaints instead of doing something about it. I'm convinced that your complaint is the birthplace of a ministry if we'll be obedient. So the next time you find yourself saying the church should be doing this, you are the church, do something about it. That's the deal. David says someone should take on that giant and that someone's going to be me. He didn't wait for a committee. He didn't wait for a moment. He just took a hold of the situation. And you and I need to take a hold of our situations. If there's no prayer group in your school, start one. If there's no other Christians in your workplace, what better mission field do you have? I hear all the time, there's no other Christian in my workplace. That can be a good thing because there's a lot of weird Christians out there. Sometimes they're doing more harm than good. So if you've got no other Christian out there, you get the opportunity to set the culture and set the tone. Are you with me? That can be an advantage. Are you with me today? And so when it comes to heart for the house, where are we willing to be inconvenienced? Where are we willing to step out of comfort? Where can I get involved? Where can I give? Where can I help? They would be the questions that I'd be expecting us to be asking ourselves in this season. As the band come, I love this story for many reasons. But what we see is a conclusion to this young boy's act of obedience, this young boy's defiance against intimidation, his willingness to see significance in what others would have said is insignificant, his willingness to be inconvenienced meant that the giant fell. I love that. But it didn't stop there. Because of David's willingness to be inconvenienced, because of David's willingness to use what was insignificant in the eyes of others, because of David willing to step out, he turned and changed the culture. They went from being paralysed with fear to being mobilised. So the giant fell. But the army of the living God was mobilised. And then the enemy were defeated. And a nation was set free that day. And a legacy was left. So much so that here we are, two and a half thousand years later, talking about it. Wouldn't it be cool if people 2,000 years from now could talk about churches like Victory Church and others and what we did in this city and beyond, in our day and generation. Wouldn't it be great to say, there was a man, his name was Lee. 
There was a man, his name was Ashley. There was a woman named Phoebe. Years from now, people thanking God for you, your contribution, for this church, and for the church in this city, and the impact that we had. You know, some of the pain we feel, some of the problems we face, it manifests amongst people. But the real enemy is the one that we don't see, stirring up trouble. Stirring up hurt, stirring up pain. I, I, I love this time of year because it gives us an opportunity yet again just to highlight what's most important. Yeah. We all drift. We all get distracted. And that leaves us feeling disconnected. The times I hear people, I'm just disconnected. But if we're not connected to the plans and purposes of God, we're going to feel disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. Disconnection it's not an opportunity or a reason to give up. It's an opportunity to get reconnected again. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.